Restaurant Unstoppable episode 1037 with Anthony Tartaglia. Every weekend we were going through dumpsters around town. I remember being with somebody in Brooklyn going somewhere to like an event and seeing a dumpster on the side of the road. And I pulled over the car and I jumped in the dumpster and I took out what I needed and brought it back. And we, we built a restaurant from dumpsters. It was wild. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. If you're tired of the other tater, you ought to try Tater Cakes because it's time to serve the tater your guests deserve. Tater Cakes are shredded potatoes mixed with delicious flavors. All the best parts of a baked potato in the perfect handheld package from the freezer to the fryer to the guest. Serve them in a variety of different ways and in different applications. Great for dining, delivery, and to go. With all the uncertainties of the world today, we should be able to be certain that our food always has great flavor. And Tater Cakes provides that comfort in every bite. Request samples at taterkegs.com. That's T-A-T-E-R-K-E-G-S.com, taterkegs.com. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, Profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. This episode brought to you by Owner.com. Owner.com is the leading all-in-one platform for restaurant marketing. Owner.com powers everything from SEO-optimized websites, direct online ordering, automated email and text marketing, built-in loyalty programs, zero commission delivery, and branded mobile apps for your restaurant that's integrated right into your POS. With Owner.com, there's no contract, no hidden fees, and nothing to lose. Join thousands of restaurant owners using Owner.com to grow direct online sales, save thousands in third-party fees, and simplify their online ordering presence all in one. Book a free demo today at owner.com slash unstoppable and see why owner.com is the number one rated restaurant marketing software. Self-awareness is the number one skill for leaders in the new era of work and self-awareness is also said to be the peak of emotional intelligence. So let me ask you how truly self-aware are you? No matter how self-aware you think you are, you and your business can always benefit from becoming more self-aware. You've heard us talking about predictive index on the show first with Al Lucas in episode 978, then with Ed Doherty in episode 1008, and finally with Matt Pepsil episode 1015. 
2015, the Predictive Index is a talent optimization platform that helps leaders understand themselves and others, helping build happy, high-performing teams. Try Predictive Index Behavioral Assessment for free. Head to restaurantunstoppable.com slash try PI to take the PI Behavioral Assessment. Once you've taken the assessment, Ed Doherty is offering a free 30-minute call to read your results and help you become a better self-aware leader. Again, that's restaurantunstoppable.com slash try PI. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, co-founder and CEO of Costa Verde Hospitality, Anthony Tartaglia, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Feeling pretty good today. Dude, I'm psyched to be here. Ryan Borman, uh, Bangle Bowls, had such great things to say about you uh, during the interview and post-interview. Um, we, we tried to make this interview happen, I think, about a month ago. A couple times. Uh, you, you, had, you got COVID, I think. Thank you so much for not giving it to me. I said, hey, Eric, I don't think we should do it. We should probably wait until I feel better. Uh, we made it happen. I come to New York often, so I knew it was just a matter of time. We're here. We're in Long Island. I can't wait. To, to get into your story, to find out how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational, ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? You ready for it? Yes. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. You just just get it done. Just do it. <laughs> I just, did it. There's so much there's so much weight to that statement. It, man. it sounds so a little cheesy and a little obvious, but just do it. Just get it done. There's only one way to get things done. You just have to do it. So why do you why did you choose that? quote specifically though like why does that resonate with you it's something i'm working on with myself um where when i find myself maybe procrastinating and not wanting to do something and i'm thinking about it and there's only one way to get it done just just do it just get it done just get it out of the way and you're done and that's it are you familiar with like the the like what's happening in the brain like do you did you is there was there a book you read or like a, a mindset thing like what what gave you this mindset like how did you become aware of this power of just doing it so the book the road less traveled by scott peck there p- part of his book he talks about delaying gratification so when you delay your gratification when you when you attack the hardest part of your day and the most tedious task first and you delay your gratification for later in the day it's a different lifestyle. So you can either do your enjoyable work right now and worry about what's what you have to do later in the week, or you can get done the things that you don't want to do early in the day or early in the week, and then you can look forward to the rest of your week after yeah. that. Yeah. I recently connected with uh, Thomas Sterner. He's, he's wrote a few books. The Practicing Mind, um, I think, is one of the books that is coming to mind, but he wrote a series of three books. And he gets into kind of like the psychology of like we – we in our minds like when we think about the thing basically the idea is you are not your thoughts you are not your emotions when we think about the thing we have to do we think about the anxiety and like or like the we put it off because it's going to be so much work we don't want to do it it's going to be like so miserable and the the amount of energy we put into thinking about doing the work instead of just doing it Mm -hmm. it's never as bad as we think it's going to be it's not yeah And, and so like what's going through your mind as i'm saying that just for me, it's a little bit of focus and just like you said, just kind of thinking about what you have to do and just going after it and getting it done and getting it out of the way. And then, right. then you have you know the rest of your day or your week to look forward to the more enjoyable things that you need to do. Right. It's so powerful. Um, and that's, I think that's a great way to start today's conversation too because, I mean, where does it make sense to start sharing your story? You were pretty young when you got started in the industry. 
I was. Um, <clears throat> I was about 13. I actually worked in the same restaurant that Jamie Banana worked in. Oh, okay. Um, we both started around the same time. We were 13 years old, bussing tables, washing dishes, um, you know, after, after school, going to sports, doing practice, going to work at night, and then getting up, doing it again. And, you know, I was 13 and it really just kind of snowballed and I worked in a bunch of different pizzerias and, and different bars and nightclubs and it really just turned into what I knew and what I did best. And that's just really where it started. Yeah. Um, but you also just did it and you got started as an entrepreneur pretty early too, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Our, our first uh, restaurant, I think I was 29 when we opened Verde back in 2014. So yeah, I was pretty young, I guess. But that was your first restaurant. You, you were investing in uh, real estate before that. Correct. Yeah. I bought my first house in 2006. I was 21. That's pretty awesome. Bought my second house in 2008. It was a house next door to my first house. So we yeah. owned both houses. Um, so that was really my first step into being an entrepreneur. You just did it. At that, yeah, just did it. Yeah. Just got it done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think there's this, I mean, I think let's, let's dial it back a little bit. So did you know when you were younger that you wanted to own restaurants? Like when in your mind, like take us back to the point where like you started thinking to yourself, eventually one day I'm going to own my own restaurant. You know, I don't think I ever knew that for sure. I never knew what I wanted to do. I, you know, didn't really go to college. I have seven college credits. Um, there was no really defining moment in my life where I said, I want to own a restaurant. How many cr- classes do you need to take to get seven? Is that like a semester? I think orientation was one, <laughs> maybe one or two credits. <laughs> and I took an AP course in high school and that might've been one or two credits. Got it. Um, I went to Cortland and I did about a semester and they didn't really want to take me back uh, after my grades. Your GPA? Um, I don't remember, but it wasn't good. Mine was a point zero. I think it was a point or 0.17. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> probably right in that ballpark. My first semester. Yeah. I turned that around pretty good. I will say I graduated nice. with like a three, two, I think. Um, but anyway, the one thing I knew right away was that college was not for me. I didn't know anything after that. I just knew I didn't want to go to college. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want that kind of structure in my life at that point. Did you feel pressure to go to school, college? I did. Obviously, society and your parents kind of put it on you, and and that's right for some people. For me, I felt, you know, let me give it the old college try and see what happens. And for me, it just didn't work out. But in the long run, it did work out. I didn't have any student loans and, you know, no regrets on my end. But Well, clearly you weren't lazy, you know. You were hustling. So what was it specifically about school that wasn't right for you? Um... Just, I guess, the structure and just learning things that I didn't feel were relevant to my life and my career path. Um, yeah, it just, it just wasn't the right time in my life to be in school. Did you ever feel like you should go back to school after? Or was there ever a right time? I think about it all the time. Um, I do want to go back one day. I'm not sure that I will. I don't know if I have the time. But yeah, I would like to go back and maybe take courses on my own terms and, you know, see see if i can learn new things that are more relevant to my lifestyle and my right, career right i honestly think that the school system is a dying breed i think that the internet is burying the school system ai and well i mean google it's just like what was the point of a school to to con- to bring all this information to one spot so right. you can share it right to bring people and to bring books and information to one spot and to promote sharing and mm-hmm. it was really to like 
create more workers, right? Like, I, I don't know the full story behind that, but I'm pretty sure that the school system was kind of like this idea of like, we need more workers. So all these rich people got together and said, like, let's just combine our resources so we don't have to train people so they can come to us already trained. Like, sure. Let's like, let's make them pay for their training. <laughs> That's essentially, I think, what happened, um, which is so fucked up. If you ask me, when you really look at that, because we talk about this all the time on the show, it's like our job as our as owners is to empower our people to, to, mm-hmm. to teach them, to give them the skills to sure. don't hire for experience, hire for personality hire for attitude right. right and then give them the skills i think we need to now that the resources are so available we can all get access to the resources i think that we should take on some of that burden of 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 educating people what are your thoughts on that yeah i agree um you know just school in general from a very young age there's a lot of pressure and there's homework and you go to school for six or seven hours and you come home you have homework and then you know you have a test every day it's it's just one thing after another and what are we really learning from school? Right. It, it seems a little bit too structured for most children at a young age. You know, once you hit middle school or high school, maybe it makes more sense in college when you, you know, develop a career path and you know what you want to do and you kind of hone in on what you think your career will be. But at such a young age, it's, it's too much pressure in the school system. Right. Um, I think the biggest benefit is the social um, engagement you get. Uh, but further than that, it's the network that you get access to. Like, Absolutely. Right, like right now, the only reason why I would tell somebody to go to culinary school is because if you're a young, uh, I've noticed that the, the older people I get on the show, and when I say older, like mid, like mid twenties, you know, like um, when they were when they went to school when they were older is what I meant mm-hmm. basically. Um, when they get the partying out of their system, you know, they're not 18, 19 years old. They're, sure. They've kind of grown up a little bit. And they go to school when they're older and they bust their ass. And the, the professors are like, where do you want to work? Like, I'll make some calls. <laughs> like, like, that's the biggest benefit, in my opinion, today um, in, in terms of school. But anyway, beyond the conversation of school. Um, so you were, just, you were just working in restaurants like, when you, before like, the age of 21? Or like, when, like, did you ever get away from restaurants? Kind of just like share the story. No, so I never really got away from it. I, I started when I was 13, and I probably worked in about 20 or 30 different restaurants from pizzerias and uh, being a delivery boy to washing dishes, busing, um, being a pizza maker, all the way to bars, nightclubs, um, Fire Island, New York City. What's Fire Island? Fire Island is a little barrier island off of Long Island. Okay. Um, very small. There's you know probably 20 or 30 different bars and restaurants. It's, it's like a Hamptons almost for like central Long Island. Um, you know, it's, it's only open in the summertime, but it's a very active uh, tourist place. Um, so, yeah, I, I worked my whole youth through restaurants, and that's all I ever really knew. And I kind of just learned as I went and just kept making steps in the right direction. So when did you say to yourself, I think I'm going to try to pivot away from restaurants? Um, I don't think that I ever said that to myself. I think I was always kind of like a little bit stuck, a little bit lost in a sense where I didn't have the college education. I didn't have another skill set. I didn't really have anything to fall back on. And it kind of, it had me stuck in the restaurant business, which turned out to be the best thing for me. Yeah. Um, But you eventually got into real estate, right? I did, yeah. So currently I own um, five or six properties. I started when I was 21. Um, me and my dad bought a house. We got an FHA loan. Um, that was 
you know, back in the days where you could just sign on a piece of paper and they would give you a mortgage. You know, I was, I was 21. I had maybe $2,000 in my bank account and they gave us a mortgage and then they gave us another one in 2008 and somehow I owned two houses and you know, the economy kind of, it was a great time to get a loan. <laughs> it was, it was you great. Had the money to pay it back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, high I interest. Gotten, I mean, and, I could have gotten a house. <laughs> anybody who signed on the line was, was getting a mortgage at the time. Oh, and you know, I'm, I'm glad we did that, but um, ultimately it wasn't the best for the economy. Right. Um, but I mean, if you were in a position and if you were responsible, if you did have the cash flow, like it was a great time to build wealth. If you could, if you could manage it. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, looking at your timeline in terms of owning restaurants, you don't own your first restaurant until 2014, uh, 14. right? Um, almost 10 years ago. So you're 28 years old. Like you said, like, like what's, what's the story before that, that I need to focus on that? Like, where was the growth? Where was the transformation for you as a, as a, as a young man and as a growing professional? So before we opened Verde, I was, I was working in Fire Island. I was also working in the city. I was taking ferries and trains to work back and forth, really not sleeping, working days, working nights. We had a partnership in a restaurant in Fire Island. Um, it was before 2000. This was 2012 okay. or 2013. It was the year after Hurricane Sandy. Got it. Um, so this partnership, it was my brother and I, who's still my business partner. Um, we were minority partners in a restaurant in ocean beach, fire Island. And I was kind of going back and forth between Bryant park where I bartended at night and ocean beach and back and forth. And, and Bryant park is, New it's, York? it's in New York city. Got it. Yeah. It's, um, you know, 41st and fifth Avenue. Got it. So just a lot of back and forth late nights, early mornings, bartending, bartending, little managing. Um, and I just got, I got burnt out. So actually six years old, 25, 26. Um, yeah, give or take. And then, you know, eventually it was a little bit older when things kind of came to a head. Um, what do you mean? Things came to a head. I just, I got burnt out. Yeah. It was too much. You know, I realized that something needed to change. I can't bartend forever. I can't start a family. I can't own more real estate. I can't get anywhere working till four in the morning and waking up in the morning and trying to do it all over again, five or six days a week. The money was good. The cash was great, but it just wasn't sustainable for me. What restaurant were you working at? Um, It's the Bryant Park Grill. So they have a rooftop. They have the cafe, espresso bar. Um, It's a pretty big operation. Um, So I was kind of all throughout the Bryant Park Grill and the money was great. You know, I met celebrities. I met Shaq. I met Jennifer Aniston. It was fun. Um, The money was great. And then, you know, train ride out to Long Island, ferry ride to Ocean Beach. And that was like a nighttime party scene. It was, you're you're up till six, seven o'clock in the morning. You know, you're living not the best lifestyle and you're up late and up early. And, you know, it takes its toll. And eventually- you got to meet Jennifer Aniston. I did get to meet Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. (laughs) Just kidding. But uh, (laughs) so were you, at this point, were you thinking like, I want to learn as much as I can because someday I want to do my own thing. My intention is to do my own thing. Not even, not even at that point. I'm at this point, I'm just making money. I'm focused on the money and maybe more real estate. Do you but have kids I, at this still, point? I know you have two kids now, but they're younger, right? And they're I've, no, no, no kids at this point. Got it. <clears throat> no, still, you know, not married, no kids. Just focused on, on life and having a good time and making money. And I still don't know where I want to be or what I want to do. 
and that all turned around kind of with Verde when we opened Verde. Um, so the, the end of that summer, that was 2013, my buddy Matt calls me and he says, there's a space available in Bayshore. There's no key money. It's just go in there, meet the landlord, um, see if you can negotiate a lease and then you got to build out a restaurant. And we, we did that. You know, I was 28. My brother was 30 or 31. Um, you know, there were five or six big restaurant groups trying to get into this space. And we went in there and ultimately we met the landlord and we said all the right things. We had a good business plan, a good mission statement. We kind of put it all together and he chose us over everybody else. And kind of the rest is history. Did he ever tell you why he chose you over everybody else? Um, it's something I've been meaning to ask him. I see him almost on a daily basis. Uh, we work with him on other projects. He's a young guy like us, a little bit older. Um, I think he just saw our energy and just, you know, good character and good people. And, you know, again, with our, our business plan and, you know, hard work, he kind of saw all that in us and he took a chance and, you know, it worked out for everybody. Yeah. In your, your bio uh, on the website, your, your website, um, I, I saw this little, like, like one line that was talking that mentioned like bad partnerships and, um, great entrepreneurial lessons from some key, some key people Mm -hmm. that all happened before 2013, right? That happened in 2013. Okay. The summer of 2013 and not to get super specific, um, I don't need names or anything like that. I just want the lessons. Yeah. You know, I've had some bad bosses. I've had some bad partners. And this was going into Verde Kitchen. This was before Verde Kitchen. Okay. We've had a couple little things since with bad partners, but we had control of that being that we were, you know, majority owners. But um, yeah, along the way. Had What's a bad partner? A bad partner is so many things. It's somebody who doesn't respect you and, and work up to your work ethics and, you know, who doesn't have the same vision and character as you. Got it. Um, so what did you learn about going forward with partnerships? Do you have partners today? Other I partners? do. Okay. Many. So what do you do before entering into those partnerships that you didn't do the first time? Um, get to know the person understand, you know, what their mission is, what their visions are and and who they are. And, you know, ultimately if everything aligns, if it makes sense, maybe that's a good partnership. If it doesn't, then it's probably not the best partnership. Right. So just really like, like any partnership marriage or whatever, like, are we, are we a good match? Are we, do we have chemistry? Are we compatible? Right. Do we have the same values? Do Mm -hmm. we want the same things? Do we want to go to the same place? Like, are we going in the same direction? Right. Like these are all things that are key. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like say it out loud. This is what I want. This, what do you want? Like this transparency, is, this is why we have mission statements. Right. This is why we have visions. This is why we have core values. It's not just a, an exercise to build culture. It's to get the right people on your bus. Exactly. And to make sure we're all going to the same destination. Um, it's super important. Um, so, you also mentioned, like I said, the, the great entrepreneurial lessons. So what were the good things that happened before going in? Like what were the things, I mean, you spent 13, or at this point from 13 to 28, 15 years, give or take 12 years yeah. working in the industry before opening your first place. Yeah. Like where, where do you think you grew the most as a professional? Like what experience did you have that you think set you up for success? Um, I mean, that's a tough question. That's, I think over the course of that time, you know, a lot of different 
little lessons piece by piece kind of built into yeah. something bigger. Um, learning some good things, learning some bad things, and along the way just realizing what's right and what's wrong, um, what makes sense and what doesn't, and just piecing it together. And ultimately, you know, it came together at the right time in the right place, and we opened Verde, and, you know, we made the best of everything, and we just, from then on, we just, you know, expanded and, and, and grew. Did you have a mentor before? Like somebody that you that comes to mind that is like a, a key mentor in your life that was kind of giving you advice you'd go to? Um, no, no specific mentor other than my father and my mom, obviously, um, you know, from a young age, they taught us, you know, values and, you know, loyalty and honesty and work hard, try hard, respect people. What were the the values? Give specific. I I think it's, um, family first, you know, family first and work hard and try your best and be honest and everything else will kind of work out for you. And, you know, my dad coached us. He was always around. He was a city cop. So, you know, he worked a lot, but he was always, he was always there for us when we needed him. Yeah. Um, he coached us in sports. He was always around. He was just a good father. He was a good guy. Nice. Um, so 20, sorry, yeah, 2013 rolls around. Um, you kind of told the story where there's a space that opened up. Uh, you built a business plan. This is the first business plan you ever put together, right? You said it was a good business plan. How much time did you have from opportunity is on your radar to pitch? Um, probably about two days. Two days. And you so had a business plan through together in two days? It was more of a verbal business uh, plan uh, when, we, when we met the landlord. So, it, you know, I got the phone call. Hey, this space is available. Go go see Ray. Um, check out the space. Talk to him. We were in Ocean Beach at the time, which is in Fire Island. This was in September of 2013. <clears throat> so we jumped on a ferry, me and my brother and our friend Zach. We From jumped New York. Exactly. Yeah. Jumped on a ferry and, you know, we came over to Bayshore and the space is actually next door to where we are right now. And we, we met with Ray and we kind of told him what we're looking to do. And at this point in time, we didn't really know what we wanted to do. Our friend, Zach, who was our partner at the time, he, he's a great chef and he was trained with, you know, classic, um, authentic Mexican food. And that's kind of where we headed and never, in my life, did I think I would own a Mexican restaurant? That was never a dream. It was never a passion. It was never a vision. And then one day, it just, that's what happened. We opened an authentic Mexican restaurant in downtown Bayshore. And it just, it fell together. It worked out great. I feel like in the early to mid 2000s, leading into the, I don't know, what would you call it, 2010s? Mm-hmm. Is that what you would say? Teens, the tens. tens uh, two, I'm not teens, sure. <laughs> the 20 teens. Um, like Mexican cuisine just kind of like blew up. It did. There was tons of opportunity for it and huge demand. Sure. Um, so I think the, you know, to lean into that during that time was probably smart. Was there a big competition on Long Island at that, that time? No, there really wasn't. So you would see Taco Bell, obviously. You would see chain restaurants like Moe's, Southwest Grill. And a lot of people thought that Mexican food had, you know, cheddar cheese and it was nachos and it was beef tacos, right? Very Americanized, Tex-Mex style, which it is a style of food. It's just really not, it it doesn't um, portray Mexican food the best way. It's really just not accurate. Not a Oaxaca. No, Oaxaca, yeah. Oaxaca, sorry. Thank you very much. Um, (laughs) No, that's okay. Oaxaca, yeah. Oaxaca. It does not look like that. How do no. you spell Oaxaca? Is it O A X A C A? Yeah, Oaxaca. I'm so embarrassed. Yeah, we've yeah. been there a few times. Thanks for correcting me. That's all right. <laughs> Bad. 
Um, I mean, that was my first, um, you know, lesson on Mexican food too. I, I didn't really know. I had no idea. We went to Oaxaca. We went to Mexico City, Puerto Escondida, traveled through Puebla, and we did the rounds. And we kind of went through Mexico and learned the food a little bit. And we came back and we applied what we learned. And, you know, we went back to Mexico again and came back with new ideas and new visions. And we kind of kept doing that. We've been down in Mexico probably five or six times at this point. And every time we come back, we bring something with us. I love that. But I think the big things I'm pulling away, even before we hit record, you're like, my big thing, I'm not really into the systems, the technologies and all that. Like I really, it's for me, it's like the creativity and the people, right. you know, but you, you looked at what you had, the opportunity and you looked around to what relationships you had and you leaned into your strengths. Mm-hmm. You, ha- you know, somebody who's a, a, a Mexican chef, like mm-hmm. let's like, let, let's leverage our assets and relationships are assets. Absolutely. You know? So like, I think that's a huge lesson. I think now's a good time to take our first break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to talk about how you executed your first restaurant. If you're tired of the other tater, you ought to try tater cakes because it's time to serve the tater your guests deserve. Tater cakes are shredded potatoes mixed with delicious flavors. All the best parts of a baked potato in the perfect handheld package. From the freezer to the fryer to your guests, tater cakes comes in a variety of flavors, including bacon, cheddar, chive, buffalo chicken, bacon, jalapeno, and more. And I got to hone in a little bit deeper here on this deliciousness. Bacon, cheddar, chive features creamy cheddar cheese, big bacon bites, sour cream and a hint of chives and of course crispy crunchy potatoes Mm, sign me up for that you can serve them in a variety of different ways and in many different applications great for dining delivery and to go with all the uncertainties in the world today we should be certain that our food always has great flavor and tater cakes provides that comfort in every bite request samples at taterkegs.com that's t-a-t-e-r-k-e-g-s.com taterkegs.com Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often, Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-Day Pilot Program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time, these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. P. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. All right, we're back. Um, so you 
said that you you had this this business plan, right? That you, so it was more of like a verbal vision that you shared with the the owner, right? Mm-hmm. Was his name? Um, what was that like? Like, how did you pitch it? Like, how like what was so good about it? I think. I think he just saw that we were young and hungry um, and that, you know, the three of us were just looking to do something that was different in town. Uh, Back in 2013, there were a decent amount of restaurants in Bayshore, but it wasn't what it is now. It wasn't quite the culinary scene that it is. You know, there were a couple Asian restaurants or a couple nightclubs. Um, Tallulah's was here before us, uh, the Lake House, which is probably the best restaurant on the island. So th- there was some stuff going on, but we just had a different vision. There was no authentic Mexican. And when we told him our ideas, he loved it. You know, he, he went to a couple places in Williamsburg, um, similar to our concept, and he kind of saw the vision and ultimately he chose us. So it was um, you, your brother... Um, in, in the chef, correct. Um, all partners or were you and your brother partners? Like how did that work? Um, at that time, yeah, we were all partners. So it was my brother and I and our chef, Zach, who was our partner with, um, Verde when we opened for probably four or five years. And then he helped us out at coastal, which, you know, he was our partner over there and our executive chef for, I think the first two years. It was, you said Zach and that was Zach. Zach. Was that the, sorry, who he was our chef partner. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, so how did you guys like split things up? Like who was in what lane? Like how did you guys know what to who do, who does what? It just kind of comes naturally. You know, certain people gravitate towards certain things. Obviously, Zach was in the kitchen. You know, he was our executive chef. So he was basically, you know, all things food, all things kitchen. And we didn't have a manager at the time. So Andy and I, we just did everything. Staffing, payroll, you know, bar stuff, um, admin, bookkeeping, you name it. We, we did everything. So where, like, where were you guys like, or where were you at least emotionally? Like, were you, was there fear? Was like, were there challenges? Yeah. Like, Like what was that stuff for you? I wouldn't say fear, but you know, a lot of, a lot of nerves, a lot of anxiety, you know, you're young, you don't have any money, you're maxing out your credit cards, I, I asked Ray, our landlord, to save the two-by-fours. He did a little bit of like light demo before we took the space. And I said, Ray, can you save some of that sheetrock that you took down and the, the two-by-fours? Because we're going to put that back up. And I'm, I think about that all the time. <clears throat> and I still wonder why he chose us after I asked him to save broken building materials. Because we just didn't have any money. We didn't have anything. So... You know, emotionally, we're we're excited. Well, maybe I think. that's why he chose you because he's like these guys are scrappy. Like maybe we were so scrappy. That's smart business, right there. Like use use what you can. Don't throw things away. Like make it happen. Yeah, I Just wish. Do it. I wish I was still that scrappy. <laughs> you know, waking up at five a.m. Well, swinging hammers and just just. Just doing it, just getting it done. I think there is something to be said about like when you're younger, like you just do it. You just, you use your youth, you use your physicalness, the, your, your your physical ability to just do things to do the work. And then as you get older, I think it makes sense to work smarter, not harder. Exactly. Right? And I think, but I mean, that's the benefit of being young is that you get to like beat the shit out of yourself. You can work, <laughs> you know, eighty hours a week doing physical labor and like still have plenty of energy. Yeah. You know, to go out. I miss it. I miss those days. (laughs) So, but like use it to your advantage. And I think like, yeah, there's like that natural swing from working hard to working smart. So I I don't blame you for agreed. Um, so, um, what were the biggest challenges for you? Money. Yeah. I think funding just 
coming up with enough money to can we, build can out. We talk about money. Do Absolutely. You, so, how much do do you need to get started? Well, I think we put down thirteen thousand. That was our security deposit, two months' rent, and then from there it was just, what do we need? We need equipment. We need to build this place out. We need some brick. We need some wood. We need to build, you know, some tables. We pieced everything together. We we built things out of reclaimed lumber, things that we found. I was dumpster diving. Every weekend we were going through dumpsters around town. I remember being with somebody in Brooklyn going somewhere to like an event and seeing a dumpster on the side of the road. And I pulled over the car and I jumped in the dumpster and I took out what I needed and brought it back. And we we built a restaurant from dumpsters. It was wild. I mean, I don't know a ton about... um like Mexican culture, but I know that they don't have as much resources. So I feel like that is a kind of the, the way of like, just like looking at what's there and yeah. pulling things together. So it was probably really on brand as far as what it looked like. It was, it was, you know, it was rustic, yeah, but beautiful at the same time. So, you know, we spent money where we needed to, we saved money, you know, everywhere else. And we ended up building a beautiful restaurant. We had, we had 100 seats. We had a big kitchen. Um, you know, it cost us about $400,000, which in right. today's world would be double, if not triple that Right. I've spent easily. literally zero time in Mexico, but I do know that in terms of like the economy, it's a lot similar to Southeast Asia. And that's kind of what I see with Southeast Asia. Like the beach vibe is like they just go and they just gather materials yeah. and build something out of Reuse, it. Reuse, recycle. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, how much did you... So you're basically like creating this pro forma as you go, like in your head. Um, you you had to raise thirteen to to get the keys to get started, right? Mm-hmm. Did you guys all were you all equal partners in the raising of money, or did you go to somebody to get that, or was it savings? No, so we we each had some money. We didn't have equal partnerships at the time. Um, you know, my brother and I owned the majority. Zach had I think um, maybe seven or ten percent. But we, we had some money saved up. We all worked really hard as you know as kids and young adults, and we had a certain amount of money saved up. Maybe I want to say combined, maybe we had a hundred thousand, give or take. But from there, you know, I opened three or four credit cards, thirty, forty grand here, thirty, forty grand there. Um, we got an equipment loan for I think fifty thousand. Capital One gave us a line of credit for fifty thousand. And then we're working. The whole time we're building this restaurant, we're working. I'm working in New York City still. I'm working in bars. I'm you know, working 60, 70 hours a week. And then I'm building the restaurant too. So there's, there's still money coming in and we're funding it as we go. It was a nightmare. It was a rough, it took us 361 days from the day we signed the lease to the day we opened, 361 days. And that was a tough year. That was probably the toughest year of my life. I mean, almost half a year to get open. Um, so when you do get open, like, like what, like, again, like you got the money, you, 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 you executed the build out, you got scrappy. Um, when did like their, the relief start to come? You know, a few weeks in, um, the first night we opened was, it was a good one. We had no idea. We had no idea if this was going to work. We didn't know if people were going to enjoy it. We didn't know if people would even show up. So we hired a staff. You know, we had our products. Everything was ready. We prepped for a few days. We did our staff trainings. We opened on a Friday afternoon, I think at two or three in the afternoon. 
you know, three, four hours go by. It's six, seven o'clock at night. There's a few people hanging out, friends and family. Everyone's having a good time. It's mellow. It's, you know, super chill. Did so you promote we, the opening or is it just kind of under the radar? It was, I think it was under the radar. We, I think we had an Instagram page at the time and we probably put something out there, but it wasn't like a huge yeah. ordeal. So we cut like two or three servers. We cut a bartender or two. We might've cut somebody in the kitchen. We're like, all right, cool. That was fun. That was great. That was a good learning experience. Let's prep. Let's get ready for tomorrow. 30 minutes later, you can't walk. It's packed. Elbow to elbow. There's 150 people in there. We're short-staffed. We send people home. And now we're, we're in the shit. And that was our very first lesson. Just staff. Just make sure we have enough people to get through the shift. Doesn't matter. We didn't care about $7 an hour payroll. I never cared about that. Just make sure there's enough people here to get through, to give good service. So why is that such an, a valuable lesson? Um, it just, you know, day one, right to the wolves. Let's, let's get in it. Let's get in the shit. Let's see what we're made of. What can we actually do here? You know, what is the team capable of and what kind of money can we make? What can this place produce for us? Is this going to work? And we knew right away, we knew day one that we were going to be successful. We had a lot to do. We had a lot to learn, but we knew right away that we had something different that people liked. I mean, it was easy. It was tacos and margaritas, but you know, we, we had to teach people what authentic Mexican food was. People were used to like, where's the beef tacos? There's no beef tacos on your menu. There's no chicken tacos. Uh, right. tacos. Where's the cheddar cheese? Do you guys use sour mix? <laughs> and like none of that, we just, we weren't really expecting. Oh, how far we've come in 15 years. Exactly. Whatever it's been. Exactly. So we were kind of like educating years. people about Mexican food when we weren't really, sh- you know, fully sure what it was. We were still learning ourselves. But we just knew we wanted quality ingredients. We wanted good drinks, good food. And, you know, it all worked out. Yeah. So um, reflecting back, knowing what you know now from an ownership perspective, looking back at the younger version of yourself, the first couple of years with that first location, that first business, like what do you just shake your head at? Things you're like, oh, man, we really didn't do that the best. Um, I think mostly at myself. I used to think that, I had to do everything like no one can do payroll the right way. Just me. No one can order booze better than me. No one can do these things. Like I thought, I thought I was the only one that could do certain tasks and I wanted to do everything. And I I was working way too hard. I didn't know how to delegate. And that took me years. That took me probably three or four years to really understand, let people do what they're good at. I'm, I'm not the best at anything, but I can teach people and let them do that and I can go do something else. I can create another opportunity or open another restaurant if I can just enable people to do their jobs. Right. And that, that was a hard lesson for me to learn. So when did you learn this lesson? Why was it a hard lesson? Um, I think I really started to learn that when we started to open Coastal, which was, I think, about two years later or maybe, maybe a year and a half after we opened Verde. Um, that was another tough build-out. That was grueling. That was about almost two years. And... I wasn't really working at Verde much anymore, at least not like at night or, you know, I wasn't working any shifts. I was still working on the business, but I wasn't working in the business. And that's when I started to realize I can't be in two places at once. And I need to, you know, hire people and enable people to do their jobs. If, if we want to grow, if we want to own two businesses or three or four, we need to put people in place, 
build systems, grow a team, and continue to move forward. You started realizing this after about a year and a half into Verde. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was that, that process of creating process like for you? It was tough. It's all, it's a learning curve. It's, you know, you don't have a mentor. No one's telling you what to do. You're the boss. People look to you and you, you don't have anyone to look to. Right. Right. So you just have to figure it out. You just have to get it done. Was there a tipping point for you though? Was there a a point where you were like, Oh, like did something click? Like this is how you do it. Like, was there something preventing you from getting more systematized and did that thing get out of your way or did you overcome that challenge? No, you know, piece by piece, you kind of learn things and just take it as it comes and you you learn one lesson and you you fix it and you move on. And, you know, next week you learn something new, you move on and you just keep going. I think that's a good point. I think a lot of people think that they have to have it perfect on like, you know, like we need to build out our systems and it needs to be bulletproof. It needs to be fine tuned, oiled, running smooth. And if you're trying to get it to that point or if you're if your mindset is this is what I need to do. And like that, again, back to like, just do it right. Mm -hmm. Like it will never be perfect. Even when you think it's perfect, you will, somebody will break it and, or the world changes around it and that needs, like it no longer is relevant. Right. Right. So just, just, I think I had, um, I had, um, Michael Payton on the show. Um, uh, one of, he was a co-author of process and he's, he's very involved with EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system. Um, and he wrote the book process, like I mentioned, and he says, use the 80-20 rule. Create systems around 20% of the things you do that produce 80% of the results. Okay. You know, so like just get the big framing things done, the things that are most important and um, just start there, right? And then fine tune over time. Because like you said, like you, it's not going to be perfect. And the, there's things that like when, when something breaks or something doesn't get done the right way, mm-hmm. that's the cue to like put it in place sure. to create, to, to create a system around that absolutely so um what were your biggest challenges with coastal kitchen um there there were a lot of things you know just i think in the beginning the food that was one of our biggest challenges um we basically tried to put a restaurant menu in what turned out to be a very big bar almost a nightclub which we we didn't really want it to be a nightclub. We wanted it to be a restaurant, but it just turned out to be a really big space. It was open. Um, we had a pool table, we had dart boards, we had a shuffleboard table, live music. So we wanted to open Sounds this. Like my kind of place. Oh, it's great. It's, it, it just hit the ground running. You know, our vision was to, for it to be more of a restaurant, a little bit more food forward. <clears throat> and then we opened the doors and we were just flooded with people, just margaritas, daiquiris, frozen drinks. Um, you know, our, our concept is travel-inspired cocktails and, you know, eclectic coastal-inspired food. And... Is it regional, like Mexican or like Caribbean? Anywhere. Anywhere yeah. that we've been to or anywhere that we, you know, want to go to that we can take inspiration from. Tropical? Tropical. Um, could be Northeast. Could be New England, like a lobster roll. Could be Southern California. Could be anywhere. Could, could be any coastal or travel destination that we find inspiration in. That's a cool concept. And it, yeah, it's, it, it was super simple for us because we've traveled so much right. and it wasn't locking us into authentic Mexican. It was just open-ended. Yeah. What do we think is cool? Where have we been? We've been to Costa Rica, Bahamas, um, you know, Bimini, Grenada, you name it. We've been all over the Caribbean, Mexico, South America, Central America, and we bring back inspirations. And we, we never want to say authentic we 
the, the word inspired yes. allows us some flexibility because somebody's going to come in and say, hey, I'm from Grenada and I've had this and I grew up here. This isn't authentic. And we're not authentic. It's inspired by these places. So it gives us a little bit of leeway. Yeah, I mean, I think that transparency is huge, too. People right. appreciate that. It translates much better. Uh, but also, what a great excuse to go do some R&D. Absolutely. <laughs> we still do that. I we're, love that. We're still traveling, you know, still going places. It's great. We so, love it. So where was Verde before opening Costa? Or Coastal, sorry. Verde was established. You know, we were probably about... By the time Coastal opened, we opened in January 2018. So we had been at Verde for about three years. What do you mean by established? Paint the, the picture of what established was for you then. Great staff, great um, customer base, food, drinks. Everything was doing well. We were making money. It was, it was established. It was a well-oiled machine. We had a manager in place. Um, and things were just going well. It was good. Nice. Um, so... 2015 let's cut let's go big picture real quick um to kind of map out what's happened since starting to where you are today so 2013 verde kitchen cocktails 2014 15 ish so about was a year and a half after right? that's that's when we signed the lease for coastal but it took about two years to build it out so 2017 we opened the first week in 2018 wow yeah um so and then after that bright waters right that was 2019 Brightwaters we bought in 2019, about 30 days before the pandemic. Oof. Yeah. Um, then thereafter, Shoreline Trading Co., which is a uh, boat. Right. Um, which you do what? Like tours and like, is it like a, how many people does it fit? Um, 45 passenger. It's a 52 foot boat. So we do all sorts of events. We do live music. We do brunches. We do parties. Um, public cruises where you could just jump on with one or two of your friends. We go to Fire Island. We cruise around. There's there's a bar. There's a bathroom. Um, we do the food at a coastal kitchen. It's fun. It's you know sunset cruises, all, all sorts of fun events on the bay. And that was post pandemic. That was in the middle of the pandemic. We did that in 2020. So this was our third summer that we just ended. Got it. And then Sweet Jane. Sweet Jane, we opened um, July 15th of 23. So, you know, that was a two-year build-out, and that's, that's where we're sitting right now. Um, that, that was a rough build-out. You know, that was two years, and it's, it's 1,000 square feet. It's a tiny store. Um, took a lot of time, took a lot of money, but that was, you know, yeah. And we, then you're, sorry, go ahead. No. And then your most recent is uh, American Standard Whiskey. American Standard Whiskey Bar. And that was how recent? That we opened, I think, August 13th. So that was about 28, 29 days after we opened Sweet Jane. like a month after Sweet Jane. Yeah, that was a rough summer. So, um, perfect. So I love, like, I love seeing this, though. Like, I love, uh, timelines are so important to me because you can kind of see, like, the, like, these entrepreneurs, these restaurateurs, kind of, it always seems like they reach this point where they figure something out. Or maybe it's a critical point with cash flow or they have a reputation and mm-hmm. opportunities start coming to them. Exactly. It's like, yeah, what was your story? Like, yeah, opportunities come to you. Um, you know, American Standard was, it was called Corks and Taps. It, it was an existing restaurant and they had been there for, I think, eight or nine years. And, you know, unfortunately the operator passed away, but right before he did, he reached out and he, you know, wanted to get out of the space and things worked out. We took over. Um, he did pass away shortly after, but we kind of reopened after a few months and just hit the ground running right away. Yeah. Uh, and I think that what, what, when you start to develop this reputation, like 
people, you become people's exit strategy. They're like, we don't want to do this anymore. Like who can just take this and run with it and do, do a good job. And I think then like once you have your first three, two or three restaurants that are just gangbusters, like sure. if, if you have the, the resources and the people, um, and the, the skill set and the, the talent for it. Right. I think like there, that's like when you really start to become unstoppable. Cause right. like, like, like opportunity just falls in your lap. It does. You just, you have more resources. You have a bigger team. You have credibility. People know who you are. People trust you. And we get a lot of that. We, we have offers almost on a weekly basis wow. to either partner with somebody or take over their space or, Hey, what do you think about this? Or would you guys open this concept with us? And it's a lot, but it's, it's flattering. Right. So going back, um, 2015, you said 2015 to 2018, almost three years, two and a half years about to open coastal kitchen and mm-hmm. daiquiri bar. What were the biggest challenges knowing what you know now? do you think you would have still tried to open that? Or do you think you bit off more than you can chew and do you have like regrets, not regrets, but like hindsight being 2020. Right. So, you know, I found out that my first child was on the way. We got pregnant, you know, halfway through the build out and basically knowing that I was going to be a father. That was a big inspiration for me to get this off the ground, to make it successful. Right. So that was, that, that was it. There were no excuses. There was no, there was no room for failure. Just, I had to do it. There was no other way about it. Um, you know, looking back, that was, it was a vacant space. It was, it was a furrier where they stored fur coats. Um, there were a lot of environmental issues underneath the building and it was a grueling build out. We did top to bottom, storefront, <clears throat> roof, everything, trenching, new bathrooms, framing. It was a monster build out. It was tremendous. And I was the GC. We didn't have a GC. So like I was running subs, I was, you know, working with the steel guy, I was working with the plumber, I was doing the carpentry, I did all the tile work. And you know, we're running Verde and I'm I'm working my ass off again. And you know, it, it worked out. It was it was a great experience, and it was it was grueling. And you know, I'm glad we did it. No regrets. So, what was the biggest challenge? The biggest struggle for you, knowing what you know now? Would, would there have been things you would have done differently, or would you could if you could give the past version of yourself any advice going into that deal? What would the advice be? There's really nothing I would do differently. So we negotiated that lease. It took. It took probably three or four months. The landlord lived down in Florida and it was a tough negotiation and we came out with the upper hand. So our rent is so low. We have a long lease. Um, they contributed about 250000 towards the build out, capital improvements. So like grease traps, sprinklers, um, I think even some of the HVAC. So they gave us about a quarter mil, 20 year lease, low rent. It was great. It was a perfect situation. How did you know to ask for those things? Ray Haig. So Ray, Ray was our landlord at Verde. He was, he's also a real estate agent. So he got us in the space. I saw his name on the building. I called him and uh, we negotiated together. So kind of like you had a broker essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think surround yourself with the experts. Exactly. Because there's so many things that you just don't, you don't know what you don't know. So many things. And human nature, at the end of the day, people want to win. Absolutely. if they're getting, even if it's long-term doesn't work out, like in the short term, if they're gaining, like they're going to go with, they're going to, they're going to, I mean, 
it sounds like horrible, but like you really got to protect yourself. You got to know somebody who knows what they're talking about sure. and, and to get those things written down on paper. Um, so that's huge. Um, any like during the build out though, like um, any like curveballs. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming there must have been curveballs. Three year build out, dozens, was, dozens yeah. permits. Um, nothing super specific that stands out other than just the permitting process. And you know, we found a couple um, wells underneath the building, like pools that we. I had no idea were there. They weren't on the survey. They, were they were like human pool, like human made. Like, they were. They were man made. Um, they must have been from fifty, sixty, seventy years ago. So, cutting out the trenches in the in the slab for plumbing, and all of a sudden the floor collapses, and we see this giant well. <laughs> Where the hell did this come from? So you know we have to fill it in, you know, and figure that out. I wonder how many bodies that they got rid of in there. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> So things like that, it, you know, it was definitely, it was a tough build out and it was a long build out too, but it was, you know, it was a challenge, but we learned a lot from it. Yeah. So, um, okay. So when, like, when do you get the itch again? So 2019 Brightwater's in, how did this land in your lap? Um, somebody said it was for sale and I went down there with one of my partners, James, we had a beer, we looked around, we had been there before. It's about two miles down the road. It's it's outside of Bayshore. It's right in Brightwaters, which is it's the same school district, but two different towns. It's a pub. There were there was a pool table. There was a dartboard, jukebox. Um, you know, very low key pub. And we had a beer, and we we're like, all right, let's do it. We made an offer, and we we bought it. We closed on I think February nineteenth. Was Ray helping you with this one too? Ray did not help us with this one. We we went right to the landlord and the uh, existing owner. Um, so Ray wasn't part of that deal. But yeah, we, we closed in late February. And when did the, the, the conversation start? Which one? With uh, the bridge, Bridgewater. Uh, Brightwaters. Like, sorry, Brightwaters. As far, you said you, you um, went there. You closed in, in January, February? Uh, February. Yeah. When did that first, con- when did you start the conversation? Probably sometime in November. Okay. September, October, like November. Three yeah, a few months. Yeah. So, you know, we negotiated with the owners, Debbie and Mike, and they, they were looking to retire. They had only owned the Brightwaters Inn for, I think, five or six years, but it had been around since the 50s, I believe. So it was, you know, long established. Um, so we made the deal with them. We closed February 26th, I think, or February 19th. I forget the date. A month later, COVID shut down the whole world. We're not open we're doing renovations. We're trying to get open. You know, the town told us that we can't open. We were ready. They said we're non-essential. You're talking about Brightwater. Brightwater's in. Just, but the other restaurants were. We were open. So the other restaurants were open. We had a, a two-week shutdown. I was actually on a bachelor party in St. Martin. <clears throat> Everybody got COVID. Every, we had like 27 guys. Everybody had COVID. Come back to New York. Test positive. Shut down Verde, shut down Coastal, two I mean, weeks. That's what we should do. I feel like we should have sent all the young people to the islands and say, go get COVID, <laughs> come back, we'll be stronger, get to work, yeah. just do it. It was scary, though. <laughs> it was tough. No one knew exactly what it was or what was going to happen. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, so, uh, so what I am curious about, because the, it sounds like Brightwater Inn is your first restaurant that is turnkey. Exactly. So you must have been like, oh, my God, thank god like not another three-year build out correct so yeah like what was going through your mind as far as like the appeal of brightwater 
It was appealing to us because it was it was supposed to be a hands off investment where it just didn't take much management. You know, it was a pub, simple food, simple drinks, just beer on tap. Um, you're buying a system. You're buying we're, a brand. Exactly. We're yeah. buying the brand that's been there for 70 years. And, you know, everything's pretty much in place. We had to do some some minor renovations and a little bit of restaffing and restructuring. But everything was pretty much in place. And it was exciting. It was just kind of like a hands-off revenue stream that, you know, we could have a little bit of fun with. It was different than owning a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the pandemic hits. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the pandemic. Neither do I. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> I will say this. Uh, three years later... Um, it forced a lot of evolution within a lot of companies. Like it did. They, a lot of people were waiting or they just didn't think that putting a digital effort in really mattered. That wasn't their business model, but this mm-hmm. kind of forced people to evolve. So Big time. W- were there any evolutions that were forced onto you that made you better long-term? Um, yeah, we developed some systems. We you know, adapted into some new technologies, online ordering. Um, we built our bar program stronger. A lot of batching. We learned how to you know, make cocktails for tremendous volume very quickly that we could batch and basically have over ice in a cocktail for 16 bucks out the door in in 20 seconds. Um, That was huge. That taught us a lot, which that translated to shoreline, which is our boat, you know, batched cocktails. And so that was a big one. Um, You know, online ordering, advertising, we got a lot better at marketing, Instagram, social media, email blasting, things like that. And just all together, the team, it built a stronger team. It, it made us a better group all around. And, you know, we just learned a lot about our business and about each other. And it just it ultimately made us a lot stronger. So um, you just dropped a lot on us. Uh, so you, you said that you, you had time to kind of work on your systems and the technology. What were the improvements that you did make that had like a big impact? Actually, before we get into that, I do want to talk about that. Um, systems and tech, I'm going to make a note. Um, Dive a little bit deeper into the batch cocktails. I think this is something that every bar driven. I mean, unless you're like, if you're a flair bar and you're about the presentation, you're about the experience and the right. showmanship of bars. Maybe not, but if you're a a cocktail bar that's focused on volume and you're you have a huge space and you just need to get as many people served as possible, right? batch cocktails. I think every bar should be doing this person. Like why would you make per drink orders at this point? Like when there's resources or and ideas like batch cocktails. Yeah, there's really there's no need not to batch, you know. It's I hate to say coastal is almost like a nightclub because it's not, but it is. It's such a big space and you know, there's two or three hundred people in there at once and you could hand 10 people a beer menu, one person's going to order a beer, the other nine are going to want a craft cocktail. Yeah. So we developed a concept that's, you know, really awesome cocktails, very crafty, but also approachable, and we can do them quickly. We can do serious volume when we need to. Right. Uh, and especially, like, I mean, that's where you're making your money in this industry. If you're a bar, I mean, maybe you're offering food, but it, it's all about that throughput. It's all about getting people the it's how many drinks we make in a period of time. Sure. Right. Um, is there anything we need to know in terms of batch cocktail? Like as far as like things that you weren't expecting when you chose to, to take that path that you can give somebody some little, I don't know, a little foresight. Um, I mean, I'm not directly involved in the batching, so I don't know all the secrets and tricks, but you know, it's, you know, keep it simple and add citrus at the end and, you know, marry your spirits together and basically just, 
be two or three steps ahead of, you know, that cocktail where you could do it quickly. Got it. Um, so what were the biggest systems that you improved during this time? Um, systems. You have confessed to me that systems aren't your, that's not your vertical. It's not. It's definitely not our strong point. Um, we're definitely not tech forward. I'm not big into, you know, systems and being over technological. So we do the bare minimum. We do what gets us by. And, you know, I focus on creativity and, you know, our passion for the business instead of tech, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if you, how do you compensate? Um, knowing that like systems and processes are necessary, but not necessarily like your it factor, right? The one thing that you do really well, you're not, you're focused on the experience, on the, 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 the creativity and all that. Like, but you do need both, right? You do. So how do you, how do you as somebody who identifies yourself that's on more of the creative side, human mm-hmm. relationship side, how do you offset that? The team. Yeah. You know, management, accountants, bookkeepers, um, you know, our attorneys, just letting everyone do what they're good at. We have a very young, energetic team that they're a little bit more tech forward and more focused. And I lean on them. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's what they bring to the table. So <clears throat> where is like as far as your organizational structure, like where is um, the the coastal group, hospitality group, right? That's what you're calling everything today. Coastal Costa Verde. Costa Verde. Thank you. Um, where like what's your organizational structure? Like how big are you today as far as like what like what's your role? What's your brother's role today? Uh, is your original chef still with you? No, he's not. So, okay. you know, we have. We have a bunch of different chefs. Each location basically has their own chef. We have one almost corporate chef. Um, that's Tim. So he's our partner at the Brightwaters Inn, um, American Standard, and Sweet Jane. So he's partners in those three concepts, but he's also our executive chef at Coastal. Um, you know, there's basically four of us in the Costa Verde Hospitality Group. It's myself, my brother, um, James, and Joe. So the four of us basically... You know, any way you want to look at it, we're overseeing the rest of the restaurants and, and the groups and the different GMs and management. So it's basically our upper management structure. And, you know, we check in with the different restaurants every day, checking in on everybody, the, the kitchen, the bar, the managers. And basically, that's how we run everything. Got it. Got it. So, um, like, are you deli- Are you at the point now where you're, you're like, okay, like, we have enough people under us, managers, that are strong where maybe we're weak where you start saying, Hey, like you're, you're the operations person. Mm -hmm. So like, what's that process of, of giving more, like how do you go about giving people more responsibility? Um, teaching, teaching them how to do the, the job the way we want it done. So, you know, there's not much I do on a daily basis other than basically oversee people and teach. So like right now, my biggest thing is I'm kind of stuck in the catering role of all these restaurants and what I need to do is I need to hire a catering manager because it's it's the one thing that I spend so much time on, probably 50, 60 emails a day. Wow. So, you know, ultimately I need to delegate that to somebody else. And that's that's one of my problems right now is I need to, you know, hire for that position. Got it. So, um, as, so basically as problems arise, you just... You, you create the problem and then you kind of like in, in, in the sense of like in a good way. Exactly. I, you like, know, I'm a problem solver. Yeah. Basically nine to five, Monday through Friday, so we're, you, we're putting out fires, solving problems. 
So as you grow, as more problems are created because of your growth, good problems, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, pain, growing pains, right? You, you kind of you're the one that tackles those, and you you build the standard operating procedures procedures around that, right? And then you pass them off to the next person exactly as, as you're going. What so if your strength is the creative side, um, talk to us about what it is that you that you think it separates you, the elements of Costa Verde that are like just unstoppable. Um, you know, from, from the beginning, it's just the team, it's the people that we work with and just the creative minds. And, you know, we have such a good group of people from everything from our dishwashers to our kitchen staff to, to upper management. It's just a really good team and everybody works so well together. And I mean, that's, I attribute almost all of our success to the team. Yeah. I'm only one person. There's only so much I can do. There's only so much that we can do it's it's all about the team and the people that work with you what have you done to build this team a lot of hard work i think people have seen where we come from you know humble beginnings not really having much and just building it building it you know the way you need it built and um you know building these restaurants and and this reputation and this this brand and people see that and they recognize it and they they feel it and they know that you know the costa verde group you know it's you can trust us and you know you know what you're going to get we have a great reputation so um where i mean the, the one thing i did notice about you in my research that i was kind of curious about is that you're not just restaurants you're, i think you're you're kind of evolving to be more of an experience based organization is that safe to say with like the boat and um Real estate. Real estate is the other thing. You have the Airbnb properties. Um, we do. And like one of the thoughts I've been playing with lately um, is this idea of like diversification and getting out of the standardized business model. And like I see you being set up for this position to really create like beginning to end experiences for people who are traveling to Long Island for like a summer getaway. Right from yeah. like where they stay to like where they dine to where they party. Sure, um, I think that's a good teaser. We're gonna take one more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to talk about where you are now and what the plan for the future is and Sounds where good. the industry is going. Sure. This episode made possible by Owner.com. Owner.com is the quickest and easiest way for your customers to order directly from you without the expensive thirty percent commission fees. Look. With Owner.com, you'll save thousands every month when customers order through your website and branded app instead of third-party delivery apps and reward your customers with a built-in loyalty program that turns them into regulars who order again and again. Owner.com also helps you rank higher on Google with world-class search engine optimization built specifically for restaurants with an AI-powered website. We cannot forget lists. Build a huge list of people who live near your restaurant fast and market to that list on autopilot with text and emails sent at the perfect time to help you grow sales and stay top of mind. Owner.com gives you everything you need to grow and market your restaurant online with no contracts or hidden fees. Visit Owner.com slash unstoppable right now to book your free demo and see why thousands of restaurant owners trust owner.com to power their restaurants online. 
Self-awareness is the number one skill for leaders in the new era of work. Self-awareness is also said to be the peak of emotional intelligence. So how truly self-aware are you? No matter how self-aware you think you are, you and your business can always benefit from becoming more self-aware. Q Ed Doherty, One Degree Coaching, and the Predictive Index. One Degree Coaching is offering a free self-awareness behavioral assessment from the Predictive Index. Experts agree, emotional intelligence is the most sought after leadership competency in the post-COVID era. Our ability to drive results requires human connection and it all starts with self-awareness. The Predictive Index is a talent optimization platform that helps leaders understand themselves and others, helping build happy, high-performing teams. Try the Predictive Index behavioral assessment for free. Head to restaurantunstoppable.com slash try PI to take a PI behavioral assessment. Once you've taken your assessment, Ed Doherty is offering a free 30-minute call to read your results and help you become a better self-aware leader. Again, that's restaurantunstoppable.com slash try P-I. All right, we're back. And before we went to break, we were talking about basically, I think we're moving in this, I don't want to put thoughts into your head. I don't want to be suggestive or or lead you, but one of the things that's come up a lot on the show is this idea of moving to more of an experience-based economy. And I feel like you're setting yourself up really well with the properties and the, the, the focus on it, the people and the experience and the creativity, like you're setting yourself up to be a really well foundationed experience based business model. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the goal, right? To, you know, diversify your portfolio and to have different concepts and different revenue streams. But, you know, for me and my creative side, I'm experience-based. You right. know, I, I live my life for experiences, not not for work, you know, not for school. I, I want to experience what I want to experience. Yeah. And I like to do cool things with good people. And if that's real estate or restaurants or bars or a cruise ship, let, let's do it. Let's go. So that's the other thing that you mentioned, um, the, that like you're, you're getting all these like opportunities and it's like, like weekly offers, right? You get a, you get to a point where you can't say yes to everything no, because everything you say yes to is something else you have to say no to. Right. You only have so much bandwidth, right? Mm-hmm. So what are you like as opportunities are coming to you? What filter are you putting them through? Um, I guess who, who's coming to us with the opportunity is first and foremost. And you know, if it's the right time in our life, if, if we have the capital to do it and if it makes sense, you know, I, I make a lot of decisions with my heart and if I feel it in my gut, I'll go with it. And if I don't, then it's not for us. Got it. So when you say that the, the, you're looking base, so it's a relationship first, who's the person that's coming to me with the offer? Do they, are they aligned with who we are and how we do business? Right. Exactly. Like we, we have our group, we have Costa Verde, we have the people that we work with and we work very well together. So to introduce new people into that group, it's not always easy and it may not make sense for us, but you know, if it's a good opportunity at the right time, then maybe we'll take it. Got it. Um, I'm, I am interested in this boat. I feel like um, with your, your Airbnb properties, how many Airbnb properties do you own today? Uh, right now I have three. Three. Um, what's, what's the goal, the vision with your, like what's, what is your vision? I don't know. Like what's your dream, man? Um, retire early. What's early? Live a good life. I don't know. Mid fifties. Okay. You know, I, I don't want to work for retirement. I don't want to work my ass off every day just to retire at a young age. I want to enjoy my life, but I also want to have, you know, the means to retire and spend time with my family. I don't want to work until I'm 75. Right. 
You only got like 15 years left before you get to retire, man. I'm thinking about it. That's pretty awesome. I'm thinking about it. So what's your exit strategy? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, Sell some restaurants, sell some assets, you know, more passive income, I guess. Do you want to open more restaurants? I do and I don't. Um, You know, there's always the passion for creativity and different ideas and different um, concepts and projects, but you can only work so much. And for me, I think a big part of who I am is I work 40 hours a week, maybe 45. I have a window, Monday through Friday, eight till four, eight till five, somewhere in that ballpark. And if something takes me outside of that work window, I don't want to do it. I have young kids. I have another on the way. You know, I have a family and I focus on my life. Yeah. I think it takes a lot of discipline to, to, to draw that line. It does. And I think not to go back to COVID, but that's really what woke me up to this is life. It goes fast. You don't know, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Right. Enjoy it while we're here. It was actually a thought that I was having today because um, I, I, I travel a lot. So when I'm traveling, I, my email, my email just gets out of control yeah, because same. I just can't keep up with it. Um, and I used to get so stressed out about it. Um, but now I'm just like, no. Yeah. I'm like, you don't need a response today. No. You don't need a response this week. Yeah. Like let the response, let, let the emails come in, mm-hmm. prioritize the ones that are urgent. Sure. And then if, 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 if there's emails that like just don't interest you, it is what it is. Sorry. Yeah. I'm too busy. That's fine. Yeah. And I think you, I think there's something within people in this industry that we want to make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. But when you do that, you can't make anybody happy. It's true. Um, you know, I, I was taught 24 hours. You get an email, respond within 24 hours. And that was, you know, years ago and decades ago. I try to stay true to that, but not on the weekends and not when it doesn't make sense. You know, if it goes 36 hours or 48 hours, that's fine. Right. If it's three or four days, that's fine too. I will get back to you. Right. And if we lose, you know, an event or a party or whatever that inquiry is, yeah, it is what it is. It's so interesting, too, because we live in a world that's changing so fast. Like, when was that rule made? Right. Who made that 24-hour rule? Exactly. And how long has that rule been around? Right. How long has email been around? Yeah, I don't know. 20 years? Yeah. No. Well, I, I mean, I guess popularized where everybody has an email and it's the preferred way of communicating. Right. right? I mean, what, 20 years is probably about accurate? Yeah, 20, 25 years. Give or take a few years. Right. Um it's gotten to this point where now on top of email, we have instant messenger Yeah, and we, we have, you know, instant messenger on infinite amount of platforms. Sure. I think there's a certain point where like people like the consumer, we've been conditioned to expect instant response. Absolutely. And that that's leading to a world of automation in bots because mm-hmm. nobody fucking wants to do it. No, let's just be honest. Right. Cause it's unreasonable. I make sure if my, <laughs> if my phone rings at eight o'clock at night, or seven o'clock in the morning, double click, right? Write the voicemail. There's no way I'm picking up that phone call unless it's something serious, right? And for those reasons, I do think that technology comes in. I do think bots have a place just because your, people's expectations have become unreasonable. Yeah. And uh, do I want a world where like we're engaging with bots? No. No. People want answers now for everything, right? And I don't want to live in that world, right? But there are automations. There is AI that can provide answers. Sure. So I feel like we're moving to this place where it's like, we're it's we're in this weird, awkward middle ground between like the expectation is there, but it's like 
almost unreasonable to deliver on the expectation. But with AI and automation and all this stuff coming, I feel like we might be able to find that balance. I yeah. don't know. It's interesting. I'm, yeah. I'm still trying to figure it out. It's a good thought. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, what haven't we talked about so far in terms of where you are today and where you want to go? Mm, good question. I don't know. What do you... Um I, I like to focus on growth and challenges okay. and overcoming challenges. Sure. So what haven't we talked about in, in your growth and your challenges? Um, we've touched on a lot of it. There's nothing specific that really stands out in, you know, our growth and challenges. I don't know, you know. Like, is there something that in your high, like, like in your growth where you're like, wow, when I figured that out, like it was a game changer. Hmm. Delegation. Yep. Um, taking a step back to take two steps forward. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that was a big one for me. Just, you know, learning how to teach people how to do my job. And I can take a step back and just spend more time with the family. So, you know, that was a big one for me. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of the businesses going forward, um, what is your vision? Um. Right now, just hold the course. We, we have a new restaurant on the way. We're moving Verde to a bigger space. We're you know going from 2,700 square feet to 8,100 square feet with a rooftop. Oh, wow. So it's in town. It's in Bayshore. It's on the other side. Um, and that's going to be probably about a two-year build-out. It's a massive space, and we're rebranding and keeping true to the you know, quote unquote, authentic Mexican food and cocktails, but just rebranding and refreshing what we're doing. What's going to happen with the space next door, the original Verde? To be determined, I think we're going to sell it. Um, You know, that would make, if we kept it, that would make six restaurants for us in town, which might be a few too many. So I think we're going to look to unload it. We'll see. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Do you plan on diversifying um, beyond the restaurant industry more asset property procurement airbnbs yeah i think that's ultimately where i would want to end up i think is just um you know passive income as far as real estate and airbnbs and maybe property management it's a little you know less hands-on a little less stress um and it builds wealth right um have you I, i am curious with your boat have you looked into uh the airbnb experiences with the boat? Yeah. As far as... Like, Airbnb is, is, is moving beyond just uh, using their platform to find a, a place to stay, but it's also starting to connect the people from those communities. Like, the example I have is, uh, is a woman in Charleston. Um, her name is escaping me. I do way too many interviews. <laughs> it's so hard to keep everybody... If, if it comes to me, I'll, I'll, I'll share her name. But she does crab fishing. Or, oh, cool! She goes like she she gets people together. They go out. They do, they go grab crab fishing. She's killing it. She you know worked in restaurants. Um, she kind of found this thing that she loves doing, and she found a way to make money doing the thing she loves, creating these experiences for people coming to Charleston. It's awesome. So I feel like, and she used that just all all of her business comes through Airbnb. She doesn't have an Airbnb. She just gets her business from people who are using the app and then finding her through the app. Oh, cool. So I feel like if I'm going to Jersey or not Jersey, if I'm going to Long Island, right. The coast. Yeah. And like, there's this boat, like booze boat tour thing. Sure. I don't know. I feel like there's a ton of opportunity. There. That's a good idea. So know. yeah. Um, as you know, 
an experience through Airbnb, maybe marketing through there to generation. Yeah, exactly. No, that's a good idea. I don't know. Yeah. I should look into that for sure. I mean, I'm not an expert on that, but it's like in terms of experience, I feel like that's kind of what you do best. What advice do you have for people when it comes, if you're trying to be an experience based hospitality group? I think giving people what you would expect to see if you were, you know, going out to dinner or staying in an Airbnb, like what are the things that you would want to see? So if you take our our Greenport property, for instance, it's on the North Fork of Long Island. It's about an hour and a half from here. We're on the water. We have a 150 foot private beach and we have a staircase going down to the beach. We have paddle boards. We have kayaks. We have a little Zodiac boat, um, yoga mats, weights bikes, like all the amenities, what, what would you want to use when you're on vacation? What are the things that you need? And that's what we want to offer people. Are these all your ideas? No. So how do you foster a, a, a culture that allows people to feel like they can contribute their ideas? Um, positive reinforcement and, you know, letting people kind of do what they, what they're good at and listening to people and just kind of allowing change. Like I'm, I'm not the best at anything. I have to let other people do what they're good at and uh, empower them to do their jobs. I love that. Yeah. Um, so one thing I like to focus on before we wrap up is this idea of, um, restaurant unstoppable's mission is to change the world through inspiring, empowering and transforming the restaurant industry. I think if we can transform our industry, our industry has the power to change the world. So on that note, what do you think has to happen within our industry to, to be better? Um, a little more focus on quality, better quality, better, better service, better standards, um, things like that. How will that make the industry better ultimately? What do you, like what, what impact will that have on the industry? Um, it's, you know, rising tides lift all ships. So as we do better, as our competition does better, it brings up everybody around you. You have to maintain that standard you have to make sure that you're not dropping below that standard. So for us, I always encourage competition. The more restaurants in town, the better. It's going to bring people here and it's going to encourage everyone just to be the best version of themselves. Absolutely. Uh, I think that I, th- I think it's happening. You know, it's, it's getting harder and harder to, to be successful at running restaurants in terms of there's so much competition and everybody's getting so good. It's a little saturated too. Yeah, but yeah. what's going to happen is those... We're, I think we're conditioning the consumer to have a higher expectation, right? So those people that are here that aren't willing to change and get better right. aren't going to make it. That's true. Yeah, so I, yeah. I think that's kind of, it's kind of a sad thing, but like, yeah, it is oversaturated. Do you think that's a problem? Yes and no. I mean, the strong survive and the, the weak won't, and it's, you know, it opens people's eyes to how difficult the business is. It's not for everybody. There's, there's a lot of people that have money or, you know, you see a lot of contractors or, you know, somebody who wants to open a restaurant because they think it's, you know, a playground for them and their friends. And it's really not like that. It's, it's a job and it's, it's a tough job. Right. You know, so I think the more people that succeed and the more people that fail kind of, you know, it just shows people what it actually is, what it takes to run a restaurant. Right. What other changes do you see on the horizon that you're kind of anticipating? Like, where do you think the industry is going? Good question. Um, <laughs> good question. So that's what I get paid the big bucks. Yeah. For the yeah. Questions. Um, lead, lead me. What are you looking at? So, I mean, just generally speaking, like uh, my thoughts are like if, if the, 
if the, the industry is oversaturated, we mentioned that my thoughts immediately went to, well, that's because there's so much retail space that's no longer being utilized. The only thing that works in rest in retail space today is restaurants. Right. So what's going to change? Like, how are we going to, what are we going to do with all the space? If, if we can't have them all be restaurants, mm. like what's going to change? Like, I don't like, know. Is it going to be more experience space things, more escape rooms, more <laughs> things that you're kind of good at? Axe the, throwing. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. What M- more that, retail? I think that we're going to see a lot of diversification in experience-based dining. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be where the food isn't going to be why you go out. It's going to be an event to go do something. The experience. And then when you have people there, they're going to want to have a drink and they're they're going to get hungry. That's what we do. You know, Um, that's what I was thinking, but I didn't want to say it because I like to I'm trying to be better about listening and not steering the right. conversation. But as I'm saying that, what, what do you think? Um, that's a tough question. Um, you know, everything you said is, is right. It's, you know, spot on. It's people want that experience and people come out to eat and drink because they want to, you know, experience something different. But at the same time, I think there's too many over the top experiences and people are, trying too hard to do too many things and you know sometimes less is more keep it simple and you know we do we need shareable fishbowl drinks in a restaurant is that something that we need as a society it's you know it seems a little bit out of place but like people do gravitate towards those things but you know again sometimes less is more right i hear that for sure um so if i think we can start going towards these these three questions that I'm starting to try to ask at the end. I already asked you about what's unstoppable about what you guys are doing. Um, how do you... So if the mission statement again is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry, how have you personally transformed? I think that if we're going to transform the industry, we do it by transforming individuals. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm here to do is to give people an idea of how to transform. So how have you personally transformed since getting into this industry? Or being um. Yeah, I mean, I, I've grown as as a person, as an individual, as a restaurant owner, just much more experienced and well-rounded. I think I've learned a lot from myself and from the team and, you know, also from our customers and what people come to expect and, you know, how to provide the best experience to people. And, you know, I've learned that it's okay to be wrong and that you can't always be right and that's okay and you just got to keep moving forward. I love it. Um, and this is the last question. It's kind of a doozy and I get a lot of eye rolls. So I'm warning you, giving me a little advance notice on this <laughs> one. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the work of you and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Three things. Okay. Um, family first. Yes. I think family is always number one for me. Nothing else matters. Be with your family, spend time with your family, enjoy your family. For me, I have two young boys, third on the way. And just spend as much time with your family as possible, especially when they're young, because you're going to wake up one day and they're not going to be young. Right. They're going to be teenagers and they might not want to be with you. Then they're going to be in college. Then they're going to have careers. Then they're going to have you know husbands and wives. And you're not going to be the same person to them that you were when they're younger. So enjoy it while you can. So that's one, family first. Yep. What's two? Be a good person. Do the right thing. You know, when no one's watching, do the right thing. Not just because people are paying attention or because you think somebody's going to see it. Just do the right thing always. Mm. Just 
be a good person. Right. Uh, they say that's what integrity is, is what you do when no one Absolutely. else is doing. Uh, and what's that third thing? Number three, be happy. Mm-hmm. Enjoy your life. Cherish it. You know, do what you want to do. Have fun with it. Don't work too hard. Work, you know, as much as you need to, but don't let your work define you and define your life. You know, and enjoy your weekends. Enjoy every every moment because, you know, it's short. Yeah. So we, we shouldn't live to work. I love that. Family first. Family first. Be nice. Be a good person. Be so nice. Be good. Be, be a good, good person. And do you. Do you. Be happy. Yeah. I love this. Don't family. worry about other people, what other people say. Thank you so much for making time for me today, man. Um, Thank you. I literally can't do what I do without people like you uh, making time and sharing your knowledge and your story. Uh, we wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So this is really what I'm trying to have be Restaurant Unstoppable's backbone, the thing that steers the direction of the show, where I go, who I talk to, who do you respect and admire in the industry? Somebody that if you found out was a guest on the show, you'd absolutely be turning into that episode. Um, I would have to say Drew Devorkin. So Drew is somebody I used to work for probably about 20, 20 years ago, give or take. And he owns probably 10 or 15 great concepts, a few in Bayshore, a bunch in New York City. Um, he's taught me a lot directly and also indirectly. Um, and he's just a great restaurateur. He's a great person. He's a family man. And I think we really just respect you know what he does drew look out man i'm coming after you i'd love to get you on the show and uh, how can we connect if we are um you know we enjoyed today's conversation and uh, maybe we're out there we have questions maybe we want to join your team maybe we're like you know i'm in i'm in long island and i i, I want an opportunity to go work with a great organization how do we connect sure yeah shoot me a message um costa verde long island at gmail.com jump on our instagram jump on the website shoot us a message we're not always hiring, but we're always looking for good people and we're always willing to make good connections for, for you know, down the road in the future and just come say hi. Beautiful. Uh, and this is episode 1037. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 1037. We'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as any links to tools or services and how to connect with Anthony over there in the show notes. Uh, again, Anthony, thank you so much, my man. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Anthony Tartaglia, for coming on, sharing your story. And um, I know what I really loved about today's conversation, something that I would like to start doing more of, honestly speaking, is talking about the complete picture in terms of the individual and all the other projects they have going on. I think that we're so consumed about the work we're doing within our restaurants that we lose track of the other things we could be doing. And I think I like to hear about the other side projects. I like to hear, about what else are you doing on top of restaurants? You're, we're more than just restaurateurs. We're oftentimes entrepreneurs. And I liked getting into the whole, uh, Airbnb side hustle, owning properties. And I think there's definitely a future where we need to think more holistically about how do our businesses complement each other? How do we vertically integrate our businesses. And I think that Anthony's definitely got something there where he can have a complete from housing to late night experience 
experience, like a whole package. I don't know. I'm interested in that. So that was definitely interesting. Thank you so much for getting into that with us today, Anthony. And if you are enjoying this podcast and you want more content just like this one, God dang it. Give us some help. We could use all the help we can get. And there's a lot of ways you can support the show. You can support our sponsors. You can use our affiliate links. You can share this podcast with everybody you know who is trying to do some shit in this industry because it's not easy. We all need all the support we can get. And this is a great resource. Damn it. I said it out loud. Man, my ego. What can I say? But I believe it. I believe this is a great resource. And I think you owe it to your friends who are in the industry to make sure they know about this podcast. Share this podcast with your audience, with your people. Tag us at Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast so we can thank you personally. And uh, what else? Join Restaurant Unstoppable Network. We're doing some cool stuff over there. And I'm really excited about it. Can't say what yet. But I will say this. Beginning in 2024, we're going to go from $30 a month to 50 bucks a month. So if you want to get in and honor that $30 a month rate, then sign up now. Uh, and we, before we say goodbye, I got to say thank you to Jerry Parisi with Samadri Podcast for your copyright and editing. Thank you, Callan Miola, for your help as our community manager. And thank you to Anna Tazin for all of your executive support and counsel. That's it for today. Oh, wait. I forgot to mention Anna's with The Good Kind Consulting. That's it. Thanks for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.